Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for jumping on board, everybody, and we welcome back Greg Lucas, former Astros and Rockets broadcaster for years and years, and of course, sports writer as far as doing books these days, also sort of a part-time movie star in his spare time. How you doing, Greg? <laughs> well, it's been a while. Uh, for all of that, that's the sad thing. I mean, uh, Rockets back in, 80, in the 80s and, and of course, uh, done with the Astros uh, when I basically retired and Fox Sports Houston died after the 2012 season. But I'm keeping up with it as well as I can. It's always great to talk with you. This your favorite time of year? You got the NCAA tournament uh, starting up, uh, spring training. It's an exciting time for sports. Yeah, it really is because so much is going on at the same time. I uh, I really appreciate the fact when the uh, the tournament is starting. I mean, the first two weeks are really the fun part. Unless you've got a school in it, then it stays fun all the way. But uh, the first two weeks are very much fun. And then uh, the baseball season, when they start playing games for keeps, which I guess they already have in Japan, uh, that's also great. Alex Bregman is the big story in Houston this week as far as the Astros are concerned. Uh, we're going to get to some Rockets and Texans a little bit too, but Alex Bregman, $100 million extension. What did you think when you heard that? I thought it was a great move by the club. I mean, it, when we talk about money, that's only something they know. They know what they can afford. They know what is feasible. But the concept of signing him for a longer-term period, getting him up to the point that it will uh, in his career, think about 30 or so, that is a very good move. And the, 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 at the point it expires is a very good move because uh, once you've passed 30, it's a little more difficult to get those really long, long deals. And, uh, you know, the, the more chances you have to keep your nucleus, your club together, presuming they're all performing and healthy, uh, the better. So now you have Bregman and Altuve through 2024. You're still left with Correa and Springer. Then you have Garrett Cole and Verlander are also guys that you have to consider getting extensions pretty soon too, right? Yeah, those two pitchers are probably more important for the immediate future of the club, uh, meaning next year. Uh, and the year after, perhaps, but uh, the 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 nucleus players are the ones that we're really looking at because uh, Correa, he might have been in this situation now had he not had some injury problems in his first uh, a few years. I think uh, if if Carlos has the kind of season this season as he had two years ago, uh, he's going to be in line for the same kind of deal if he's interested in it. Springer is a little older, but I think they could probably get through him, uh, you know, get him something that would get him up to maybe the age of 32 uh, with a longer-term deal uh, at uh, 32 or 33. I don't think they want to go much deeper than that with a long-term deal with an older player, but He's not an old man by any stretch of the imagination, but they are the next two that I think are crucial. Uh, but again, it would long, a lot of it will determine on health uh, with both of them. Most of Correa's health problems have been fluky-type things. They've been muscle pulls and they've been strains. Uh, nothing crucial. The knee hasn't gone out and that sort of thing. Uh, so I think that uh, if he is, is the Carlos Correa we think he is, uh, he'll be getting something like this next year. George Springer's interesting, though, isn't he? Because, you know, he's going to hit uh, free agency next year. He's older. It's been a real weird market, especially if you're close to 30. Do you see him staying with the Astros? Because he's my favorite player on the Astros. I don't want to see him go. <laughs> well, I, I think the odds are good that he would stay. But, again, uh, we, then we get into that money thing. Uh, 
How many years you're going to give? If you give him five years at the huge dollars, I think he would be a very wise investment. Five is enough. He, you know, he, he five years, and then because once you get past that, you're uh, you're going to have some decline, and you have you can't have. The biggest problem is with if you're running a ball club, you can't let sentimentality overrule smart business decisions or smart business guesses. Because some of this is a guess when you're talking with athletes. You don't know exactly when it's going to be over for them. You don't know when it's uh, when it's going to be time to replace them. Uh, but you have to go by uh, what uh, what the trends have shown in the past and what the trends are with a particular player. But yeah, I'd like to see all of these. Uh, uh, these nucleus uh, everyday players remain here uh, and then uh, just hope you can either develop some pitchers that are going to be really, really good, or you can hold on to your uh, Verlanders for maybe three more years and Cole for maybe three or four more years. And that would be a wonderful world. Yeah. I'd love to see more of these extensions happen. Uh, it's pretty amazing that the Astros are already, you know, being able to keep some of these guys. So that's good. Uh, going back to Bregman though, Greg, there was a, a great piece by Ben Ryder, Sports Illustrated, author of Astro Ball. We've had him on the show, too, talking about Bregman and, and what he wants to accomplish in baseball. And one of the things that I found fascinating was, you know, 14 years ago at Bregman's Bar Mitzvah, he had this to say in his speech. This is, you know, 13-year-old Alex Bregman. He said, quote, we all need to realize that there are people out there who may be suffering and we all need to try to do our part to relieve that suffering when we can. When I think about the future and how I can make a difference in the world, I want to be able to use my love of the game of baseball to be a good example and a good person. I want to be a professional athlete who plays for the love of the game, never quits trying to give my best, and is a good role model for all the kids who look up to baseball players. Unquote. And Greg, that's uh, something special from a 13-year-old kid. And you talk about following through on a promise and, and trying to do that. That's that's Alex Bregman. Yeah, that's the point. I think that's one reason why you you have little doubt that signing him to a five-year extension at his age after really his greatest season was one year, and that was last year, was not a, uh, was not a risky, risky decision. The man is Mr. Baseball. He is he has got all of the same qualities about playing baseball that Pete Rose had without any of the negatives that Pete had in his personal life and his off-the-field dealings. Uh, it, it, this is the guy that you want on your team. This is the guy that wants to win. This is the guy that always wants to make himself better, and that's Alex Bregman. This was just a, a, a very wise decision on the part of the Astros, and I think, frankly, with Alex as well. This, this can be a home for him for a long time. He also said that his goal is how do we make baseball as marketable as the NBA and the NFL? And he's following through with that. He's launched his YouTube channel back on Halloween. Uh, Bregg and the boys, as they're called, have posted nearly 80 videos about four weeks since then. They drove around Houston giving $100 tips to unsuspecting drive through workers. They worked out with Alex Rodriguez in California. They went undercover as awful umpires in a youth baseball game. So Bregman, the, the work that he's doing, not only on the field, this guy just, he doesn't stop, Greg. It's its, it's just on and on and on. It's exactly right. Now, we've got to be honest, without his talent on the field, this would be just great. But uh, when you couple that with the fact that he's one of the very best uh, at his position in Major League Baseball, 
and the tremendous season he had and being the MVP of an all-star game at, at his age. Uh, uh, no, he's, uh, he is taking advantage of what he is and his talent have, uh, have developed. And the other thing about his talent is this is a man that no one projected him to ever be a 30 home run guy. Uh, when he was coming up, he was going to be a 280 to 300 hitter uh, that was a shortstop. And so they thought that's all he needs to do to be a shortstop. But of course, uh, uh, he had to be a little better hitter uh, than that to be a third baseman in baseball, the traditional uh, sense. And so uh, he has. And not only that, he is probably far better uh, as a third baseman, even defensively, than he would be as a shortstop. So uh, he has taken advantage, and he has taken advantage of what was in front of him, the opportunity he got to play, and he has taken advantage of that, and he has been a key member and a very popular team member of a winning championship team. So, no, he's uh, everything's working out for him, but he's doing a lot to make it work out. The other really great thing for the Astros is they got Ryan Presley in extension. He gets two more years, so now... They have him through, I believe, 2021. So that's that's also good news because, you know, he showed just incredible stuff uh, his last couple of months with the Astros. Yeah, he he's going to be there, and he's going to be one of the keys in the bullpen. And uh, and and if you know today in modern modern Major League Baseball, you better have really good guys in the bullpen. You can't have just uh, old guys who are almost. Uh, because the bullpen is going to pitch a lot, and the bullpen's going to pitch in big games, and the bullpen is going to pitch with the games on the line. So he was a great, great acquisition in the first place, and then to have him uh, solidified for a little bit longer period of time just makes it better. Let's pull out a little bit. You've had a chance to sort of soak in uh, spring training, what the Astros have been doing. You've looked at their off-season moves. How do you feel about where they're at, and, and what are you looking for during the season? What, what's kind of grabbed your attention as you've watched spring training unfold? Well, I think uh, the position, I think they played the lineup yesterday that pretty much will be, the, at least they started the game with the lineup yesterday that pretty much will be the guys that will play most of the time. Uh, they'll probably do some flipping around, possibly in the DH uh, situation. Kemp may do it. Uh, well, if you do it lefty-righty and you use a percentage, he's going to be there more than white. Uh, but I think they pretty much had their lineup in that will play the majority of the games. Obviously, the biggest missing element is Marwin Gonzalez being gone. Now, if the team is healthy, they won't miss him because they they did get Bradley to play left field, so they have a left fielder. And so that's one position that Marwin really was almost the regular. In fact, he was the regular left fielder in all postseason action the Astros played the last couple of years. But uh, So Bradley's there in left field. They're cool there. And as long as they don't have injuries to uh, uh, to the middle infielders or the infielders in general that require someone with a bat, and with versatility to really play the positions like Marwin could, they're okay. Now they have uh, they have some back they have some backup on the team, but I, they just don't have anybody quite as good as he was uh, as both a hitter and a fielder. But again, that's a that's in a backup position, so they may be maybe all right there. Catching will be okay defensively, but uh, again, we don't have uh, since. Uh, McCann's first year with the Astros, when he still had a little bit of a bat, there really isn't a whole lot at catcher offensively, but it'll be okay defensively. Uh, and uh, the pitching staff uh, should be fine. I, you know, four and five, we'll see. 
but it's hard to tell from uh, just spring training uh, because they don't let them go very deep. They pitch little. Uh, they also try to work on some things that maybe they weren't doing. Uh, they won't do when the season begins. Uh, but I'm not sure if the starting pitching one through five. And, of course, last year we had a healthy McCullers to start the season. I'm not sure the starting pitching one through five is quite as strong as it was last year, but it is still plenty strong. How soon do you think before we see Forrest Whitley in an Astros uniform? Well, two things will happen. I think, uh, one, there's got to be an opening for him. One of those five in the starting lineup, and obviously it's not going to be the top two, uh, but one of the five toward the back is going to have to have a slow start. He's going to have to have a hot start because it might not even be him. There are some other guys uh, in the Astros farm system that have been quite impressive this spring uh, pitching for the Astros and are highly regarded. So I think it's going to be um, dependent more more than anything about how well the guys that are holding that four and five slot do uh, as much as Whitley uh, coming up. You mentioned Margot. It's interesting because I, I think when we first looked at the offseason, we said, oh, they, they're getting Aledmus Diaz. That's the replacement for Marwin. But the more you think about it, the addition of Michael Brantley. So now you have somebody that you can count on in left field. And then you throw in the fact that they have Tyler White and Tony Kemp and what they did at the end of last year, that one of those guys uh, should be able to perform in the DH spot. That is really the real replacement from Marwin Gonzalez because Marwin was having to play so much because he was playing in left field, because they didn't have anybody that was consistent there, and also because the DH spot was really up in the air. And that, that, that I think, is the difference uh, this year and why they could maybe let Mar- Marwin go, even though they really didn't have to pay him a whole lot when it was all said and done. Well, they could have gotten him probably here for the same price. The, the the difference was if no one is injured, they can get by. They're fine with who they have because Marwin would not be playing as much as he has the last two years. He was essentially the regular left fielder more than more than not. And but when he wasn't out there, it was because Correa was hurt or Altuve was hurt. So he he got a lot of time at shortstop and second base. Now. Kemp can't play shortstop, but he can play second. I don't know how much he's gotten any work in the, in the spring there. Diaz can play in the middle infield, but Diaz is certainly not the hitter that Marwin was. But they can cover the position. If they're not injuries, if there are no injuries, they're okay without Marwin. It's just that Marwin was so uh, you know so valuable because a there were injuries, and b they really never had anyone better than him that could play left field. But now they do. And they have other guys that can fill some spots. And so, uh, no, as long as they don't have injuries to key positions uh, uh, up the middle, they're fine. Big retirement, uh, the end of Ichiro's career. Give me the big picture on Ichiro, future Hall of Famer. We're going to see him there in five years, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he, he's there in five years. He, he's uh, Well, he's the best that's ever played in both Japan and the United States. Now, there have been some guys that came over here and had some, you know, Nomo was really good, uh, and there were some guys that were good hitters for a few years, but uh, he's a guy that obviously was here longer and cracked 3,000 hits just in the United States uh, for uh, the uh, Major League Baseball, and then he also had uh, fourteen or 1,500 in Japan. So, no, he, he is... Uh, uh, he's going to go in in five years, and he'll uh, he certainly well deserved. He uh, he was a, a great arm in the right field, covered the position, 
extremely well, had some power when needed, but was mostly a slap hit the ball where it's pitched type guy with a high batting average and high on base percentage. No, he's a he's a cinch. Give me the guy that you compare him to. Is there anybody that you've seen uh, over the years or anybody when you look at the record books in Major League history that compares to Ichiro? I mean, he, he's a real different guy, isn't he? He is. He probably compares more to some of the guys back number many, many years where the home run wasn't as uh, big a factor as it is now. I, you know, I wouldn't say Matty Alou. He's a, Matty was a good hitter, but he, he wasn't nearly the defensive player, and he and Ichiro had more power than him, but he was he was a contact guy just like that. But there were a lot of more of those back in the 20s and 30s, and even before that, that that had high batting averages and home runs. Well, Ty Cobb, for instance, Ty Cobb was a, was a contact guy, and he hit doubles, and but he could hit some home runs if he had to, and he swung for them. But he was more interested in getting on, and and so he's closer to that type of player, I think. I'm going to mishmash here because we're going to go into the Rockets for just a little bit. Uh, it, this is a crazy idea, Greg, that I have but for the Rockets. But how about just having everybody on the roster available every single game and making sure nobody plays more than 32 minutes and maybe getting yourself some easy wins instead of giving this guy a night off or two guys a night off and you end up uh, maybe having to go to overtime and, you know, James Harden plays 40-plus minutes and everybody plays 40-plus minutes because you made it a lot harder to win the game. Would that work a little bit better than what they're doing? Right, I just don't agree with this idea. No, well, certainly what happened in their last game was the problem with the Rockets always has been uh, against some teams. They just It's almost as though they say we're better than they are and we aren't going to play as hard at the beginning of the game, and they don't. And it usually shows up more on defense at the beginning of the games. And then, of course, if it's coupled with a slow shooting start, they just hang around for a while. And that was certainly the case in their last game where they had to go crazy, at least one guy did, uh, James Harden, in the in the fourth quarter to uh, get them to a tie and into overtime. And then they, they lost in, in overtime. But, again, they were playing uh, with guys that weren't hurt. Eric Gordon was the guy that was and got the designated game off, uh, and he did get the designated game off. And, and you know, you – I agree with you. I think you can't do that. I, I think you're better off if you just cut minutes, I think. I, I think your team is better off. But, you know, maybe Gordon was nursing something that they didn't, you know, let everybody know. And it was not really a, a postseason-type injury that would keep him out, but it was, ah, I'll give him a day. Uh, that happens a lot. But, yeah, it makes the team a lot weaker, and if they don't uh, all pick up, uh, that's what happens, and you, you have to actually play harder. And wear yourself out more, and which is what happened in their last game. Yeah, they they just listed them as rest in, in the box score, so I'm assuming that's what's going on. And the problem is, you're maybe helping that guy for a little bit, but is it going to hurt Harden or Chris Paul or somebody else because they're having to pick up the slack on those nights? And that that's to me the real danger. The well, and I actually, I think the danger is also uh, because of the position you're talking about. Because uh, if Gordon's out. Their guard depth is very, very short. They've got four, uh, but now they're down to three, really, that can, can play the three positions if, if if Gordon is not playing because they don't go deep, deep usually on the bench. They, they've got Austin Rivers and they've got Gerald Green, and what was weird about the game against Memphis was Gerald Green starts making uh, you know some crazy three-point shots, and he can get on one of those rolls 
And then they take him out. I think he played 14, 15 minutes when all these other guys are racking up. Well, I, I don't know, and I don't know how much of that was determined by defense because the one thing that was struck rather severely early in the game was the fact that they could not defend the big hulking big guy. You know, the the big guy who is really big. I'm not talking about the 6'10 leaper. Uh, I'm talking about defending the really big guy that comes inside. They They were getting hurt a lot. Uh, inside and uh, uh, you know whether or not because I noticed that uh, uh, even one of the guys who was supposed to have the designated night off didn't and they actually got into the game in Memphis because they were having so much problems uh, up front and so and that's one of the places they're going to get worked over I think a little bit in the postseason because Golden State did it uh, in the last game they their their big guy was uh, a major factor in the contest and uh, the the, Ast- the the Rockets don't really have uh, – Capella is very good at what he is, but he's not a hulking, strong big guy. Uh, he's a I, – I won't – I'm not going to compare him to Bill Russell, but physically he's closer to Bill Russell. And, uh, you know, thin and agile and, uh, you know, but he's not a – I'm going to – take my position here and you're not going to move me or you're going to move him. He can't do that. And so uh, when you have a a big man, which is sort of out of fashion in the NBA these days, but if you have one, uh, it can be effective or he can be effective if he's got any skills at all against the, uh, the makeup of this rocket team, which is essentially smaller. Yeah. There's just sometimes bad matchups for him and Valanciunas was not a good matchup for him at all. And and I I didn't quite understand why Nene was, not used in the first half. Then they finally decided to bring him in in the second half. And I think he helped a little bit in that matchup, but you know, offensively, you know, he's such a liability there too. So uh, a little bit of a conundrum. Uh, uh, Greg, I've had a little bit of a love affair to say the least over the last few weeks on the podcast with Daniel house and RG said, Oh, you know, he's going to have to earn his way back into the rotation. And I said, no, you watch. I said, he's going to be playing 30 minutes much quicker than you think he is. And because I, I think he's the Rockets, maybe fifth best player. Uh, you know, maybe some people are out there might say the sixth best player. But, you know, it's it's James Harden, Chris Paul, Capella. Eric Gordon might be an argument at this point. P.J. Tucker might be an argument because Daniel House brings the best, best of both of those worlds because he plays defense uh, and he also... Uh, has the offensive game and he hits threes and you know he his size and length is, is much better than m- most of their other options that they have. I just love that guy. Well, I do too, actually. I every time I watch him play, I keep thinking, what if he'd stayed at Houston when Samson came in instead of transferring? How quick, much quicker would have Samson had a a really top team at UH? Because uh, as you know, he was one of those guys that when the coaching change came, he left. And uh, golly, um, if he'd stayed with Sampson and his coaching and, and uh, well, that's a different story. But yes, as far as the Rockets are concerned, I uh, I was mystified by the, the contract problems they had that made him have to go back to the G League because at the time he wasn't a G League player. He was a he was an NBA rotation guy, and he is now. Uh, he's a very solid player. He's uh, he brings the both the best of both things to the court. Uh, and I will, the only guy that I would sort of disagree with you on, I put PJ Tucker in a whole different class. PJ Tucker is a basketball player and he is a, he, he does all of the things that you're not going to see 
a lot of the uh, players do anymore, and that's dive for the ball and strength. And no, he's not a great offensive player. He's, he's he can shoot from the corner here and there, and he's you know. But um, I don't I don't compare those two. I, I compare House more to the guys that are playing outside and are basically supposed to be offensive players. And um, no, he's as good as anybody. He could be in the starting lineup. Uh, he would be great, however, as a bench player to just make that team the depth even greater. But again, it depends on who you're playing against, I guess, I suppose. But no, I'm a big house fan also. I think he was a, he could turn out to be the biggest acquisition they made. They made a sure a lot of them in this, during this season. Yeah, great piece by James Herbert on CBS Sports on PGA Tucker this week. I, I retweeted that on the Twitter page. Also, that, that you can find the Bregman piece there as well as on uh, Facebook. And I'm going to keep bouncing around because the Texans this week, uh, Greg, they signed A.J. McCarron and Darren Fells. It's it's not going to get anybody excited, but I will say they're minor upgrades because Darren Fells can block, which we haven't seen from a lot of Texans tight ends recently. And that's going to help Deshaun Watson. Unfortunately, you know, he's not a guy that can do everything for you at tight end. So, you know, you either got a guy that can do one thing or the other. It's hard to find that guy that can do everything. And then they signed A.J. McCarron, which uh, should be a little bit of an upgrade over Brandon Whedon. I mean, it's not a major uh, move, but I think the real question, Greg, with the Texans is I, I just don't know what they're doing with all their money because they still have, you know, I, I want to say it's close to, $35, $40 million left. They decide not to go after some of the bigger names. And, and NFL free agency is very strange, Greg, because there's not these great options all the time out there because you start looking at this guy or that guy closer and, and, and you, you see the warts pretty quickly. And guys age so quickly in the NFL once they get to the point where they're free agents. You know, you're like, well, how many more years do they have left? You know, should I invest in them? Uh, what did you what do you think about what the Texans have done? Do you feel like, oh, they're they're just playing it wise and close to the vest? Or should they have run out there and maybe signed a Le'Veon Bell or Earl Thomas or one of those big splash guys? I mean, I, I just to me it's like why not splash with one of those guys when you do have the money? Um they, they could get us into some trouble later, I guess, but you do have this window where Deshaun, you've got him for cheap for the next three years. Well, true. Uh, as far as McCarron's concerned, if you're if the Texans are lucky. He won't play it down. Uh, so I, I'm not as concerned about that one, except the fact that uh, at least Whedon knew the knew the system. He knew what they were trying to do, and McCarron's basically going to have to learn it in uh, you know the preseason reps that he gets uh, as best he can. Because the main thing you want with your backup uh, is you want somebody who can come in there and know what know how they play. And and has the feeling for the timing and all that sort of stuff because you're not going to be able to your backup player at that position is not going to be junior to the set, to the starter because he's too different he's too much different uh, but uh, you know you know he has some experience and so that's fine but I think ideally you don't want to see him play at all Fells as a tight end that blocks anything that the club can do to improve offensive play on the line whether it's a tight end that mostly blocks, or, or they actually get some tackles, that's what's primary. That has to happen. Not just to protect not just to protect the quarterback, but also to open some little gaps for the running backs, make the running game better, regardless of who it is back there. But that's 
you know, that's what uh, they're going to have to do. And, of course, spending the money, some of that may wind up going back to players that are already on the team, too. You don't, don't want to forget that. There are some guys they could extend, some contracts they could redo. But you're going to hold on to it until you're sure you're not going to need it in the free agent period. And perhaps they're not going to need it in the free agent period. Last couple of things I, I want to mention. Uh, first, Greg, uh, I got to say rest in peace to Randy Handsome Ransom Jackson, who died at 93 years old this week. Really one of our favorite interviews on the podcast. One of the more amazing lives that you're going to find in, in the history of not only baseball, but sports. He was sort of baseball's Forrest Gump. This is somebody that played with the Texas Longhorns and Bobby Lane, both football and baseball with Bobby Lane. He played with Jackie Robinson with the Dodgers, Ernie Banks, Sandy Koufax, uh, Chuck Connors, the Rifleman when he was in the minor leagues, the, the, the famous uh, actor. He hit the last Brooklyn Dodgers home run. He shook hands with President Eisenhower. He was on Ed Sullivan. He was coached by Rogers Hornsby. He roomed with Don Drysdale, and he was almost the last batter in Don Larson's World Series perfect game. It's an incredible story, Greg. It was so good to talk yeah, to you. Yeah, didn't, didn't you leave out the fact that didn't he also play at TCU? I think he played for two different schools in the, in the Southwest Conference. Right, right. He was the last person to uh, play in a Cotton Bowl, I think, in back-to-back years with two different teams because you can't do it. any. You, you couldn't do that type of thing anymore. No, it had something to do with the, the military, if I recall. Wasn't he in one of those schools uh, as part of a military deal? I, I, I read... Uh, his story in a not his, not his book. I haven't seen his book, but I read his story at least part of it in the uh, the great book about the history of Southwest Conference baseball that was written uh, years ago, and uh, it, it is an amazing story uh, for a guy who never became a big name star. He was just this just a little behind it, but he was a big league regular for a while. And all of the other connections you have, yes, it's it's uh, we always remember the guys that had. Great, uh, great lives, and even though uh, you know he lived a lot of life after all that sports stuff was over, to to last until he was ninety three. But it, he certainly should be remembered. Yeah, I beg anybody to go back, find that interview. It, it's still up in the archives. You're going to find it uh, on whatever app you're using for the show. And there's great stories not only about all of that, but there's a story about Yogi Berra and a butterfly, which is pretty funny. And then there's a Really poignant and touching story that he talks about with uh, Hiroshima and the nuclear bomb and and somebody that he met regarding all of that. But he was a fun guy to talk to. And just uh, one of the real uh, gifts was the fact that we got a chance to talk to him before he passed away. And like I said, 93 years old, one of the oldest Major League Baseball players that was still living at the time. Um, last thing, Greg, uh, you've got your new book is is ready to go, right? Astros Legends? Astro Legends uh, by Blue River Press. It will be uh, the, the target date to be on bookshelves is uh, the 15th of April, and it should be in Barnes & Noble. Uh, locations and it's all, but it can be ordered in advance uh, through one of two sources, of course, Amazon.com or brpressbooks.com, which is the publisher. Uh, it's uh, fourteen ninety nine, two hundred seventy eight pages, and it uh, encompasses one hundred three legends in the history of uh, Houston's Major League Baseball. It goes all the way back to the, the Colt 45s, and it, it, it actually goes through last season because I've got uh, a couple of the things that came on, uh, well, actually three that I know of uh, uh, from last year, uh, the uh, uh, seven uh, for seven game uh, uh, by uh, uh, Springer, 
your hero. And also, I've got the uh, All-Star Game MVP uh, story, and uh, I've also got the uh, uh, the big game pitched in Arizona by uh, Cole, where he had 16 strikeouts and gave up only one hit. So I've got those listed among the 103 legends. And, and the reason it's 103 is... That was a legend, too. That was set last year. That equals the number of victories, all-time franchise record by the Houston franchise. So uh, it includes everything from players to moments to uh, the Astrodome to uh, all sorts of things in the books. I think the fans will enjoy them uh, when they get a chance to get a copy. Thank you for allowing me to do that commercial. Well, we we zip through a lot of different stuff, and uh, it's just always fun. I I pretty much know Greg. I can throw anything at you. You're like uh, Jose Altuve, and you're going to hit it. <laughs> yeah, that's called a uh, a certain kind of artist. <laughs> it's two letters. <laughs> it's always great to talk to you, though. And I know you're keeping very very busy. You're you're pounding out the podcast to keep people informed better than anybody around. Yeah, we got a bunch of them. We we talked. Uh, we got way into deep into March Madness earlier this week with my friend Adam Pena. You you know Adam, the, the stat man. I call him. That's it. He's it. He's the uh, he's the premier stats man of the uh, the region. Yeah, we got also a little bit uh, in, in, into the woods with uh, the Rice Owls, which don't get a lot of play. But the Rice women, uh, they're going to be playing yeah. in the NCAA tournament for the first time. And for I mean, it's there's a lot of. Uh, really cool stories with that team. And, and we also talked to somebody that covers the Jacksonville Jaguars uh, through the Lockdown Network, my old uh, partners over there, and just does a great job of uh, explaining who the Texans got and Tayshawn Gibson, the new safety. So uh, go check out those three shows uh, from this week. But lots of good stuff. And again, Greg, thanks a bunch. Thanks a lot. Great to be with you. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. You can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening. Hey there, I'm Max Friedman. And I'm Eli Blackwood. We're hosts of Tackling the Texans, brought to you by the Pulse Podcast Network. If you love the Houston Sports Talk podcast, then you should go ahead and listen to our weekly podcast where we talk about everything exciting around the NFL and what it means for Houston. We keep you updated on all things Texans with interesting debates and hot takes, making sure to bring on NFL experts from around the industry to keep you connected. Subscribe to Tackling the Texans on Apple Podcasts or give us a listen on any available platforms.